Well, hey there, it's Adam Shell, the pastor at Melbourne Heights, and welcome to our sermon podcast. In this episode's podcast, we are going to be finishing up our journey through the book of Exodus, where we've been walking alongside the people of Israel, and we've seen how they've overcome the darkness of their slavery in Egypt. And in this episode, we're going to be exploring a part of the story of Exodus that we usually skip right over. We're going to be exploring the detailed description and instructions that surround the tabernacle. And we're going to see what all of this information about the tabernacle has to tell us about who God is and how God helps us face the darkness in our lives today. And for this episode's sermon, I'm going to turn it over once again to Joe Noland, our youth minister here at Melbourne Heights. So let's get right into this week's sermon. Starlight, star bright, first star I see tonight. I wish I may, I wish I might, have this wish I wish tonight. That was one of my favorite rhymes when I was growing up as a child. How many of you guys remember that rhyme? So, almost everybody. Now, here's the real question. How many of you guys used that rhyme to try to get something you want? (laughs) Be honest. I did it. I did it all the time. Usually it was for that favorite toy or, you know, when I was, you know, my lower teens. Uh, to get that girl to like me. Um, but it was. It was one of my favorite uh, rhymes uh, uh, growing up, and it's one that I used a lot. So that rhyme, as far as I was able to figure out, can be traced back to showing up for the first time in part of a poem medley by a guy named Will DeGrasse in 1866. But the idea of it, the idea of wishing upon a star, can be traced back much further than that, all the way into ancient times. It's the idea of a celestial being using magic to manipulate the stars or granting wishes from a magic lamp to bring us whatever we wanted. And in some areas, we were able to figure out that they were actually really good at reading the stars. Not so much for getting what they wanted part, but when it came to reading the seasons or telling time or trying to find out a direction that they needed to go. Even in the story of Jesus' birth, there is a star that everyone follows to find him. So over the centuries, we've been trying to figure out the importance of the heavens above us and that awe-inspiring question of, are we alone? Now, before you start thinking that I'm going to go on some sort of alien conspiracy tangent up here, that's not for this sermon. That might be later down the road, but we'll see. Uh, So let's actually get to what I'm actually wanting to talk about this morning. The quick answer to, are we alone, is no. We're not alone. In the last several weeks, we've been talking about Exodus and how the Israelites came out of the darkness and into God's light. God led them out of Egypt, through the Red Sea, and into a wilderness on a journey that will eventually end in a promised land. And the whole time, they were never alone. God was with them every step of the way. He was a guide, a protector, a provider, and a savior to the Israelites. When they needed something, God provided it for them. We talked about last week how God provided water and food and manna to help them get through those tough times. But simply being a mystical being that granted wishes to the people of Israel, uh, of Israel wasn't enough for him. God wanted more. I mean, think about it. All through the book of Genesis, God is present, sometimes even in person. Uh, and through the beginning of Exodus, God reveals himself to Moses. He talks to him and speaks to him about the things that are coming and the things that he needs Moses to do for him. No other God did that. No other God showed an interest in the well-being of those who worshipped them. The God of the Israelites wanted something more than just sacrifice and praise. He wanted something more intimate with his people. 
And so the tabernacle was created for God. If you're in a small group this morning, or if you're meeting with me this afternoon, this is probably the center of your topic of conversation this morning. And how could I guess that? Well, <laughs> for our reading this week, starting in chapter 5 all the way through the end of Exodus, that's pretty much all you talk about, except for a brief interlude with a golden cow, but we won't get into that. Um, and Exodus literally ends with the Lord taking up residence in this newly built tabernacle. But why are 15 chapters of Exodus, almost 40% of the book, devoted to this tent? God goes into detail about what each piece should look like, with detailed instructions and descriptions, even down to the type of materials that he used. So what makes the tabernacle so important to the story? Well, it comes down to what the tabernacle was uh, and what it was meant for. So if you have your Bible with you, whether it's on your phone or a physical copy like this, I want you to turn to Exodus chapter 25. Now before some of you start freaking out because I was talking about 15 chapters, no, we are not reading all 15 chapters today. If I did that, I would probably never be up here again. No. Uh, We'll be starting in uh, chapter 25, starting in verse 1 through 9. So if you're there with me, read along with me. It says, The Lord spoke to Moses, Tell the Israelites to take an offering for me. You are to take my offering from everyone who is willing to give. This is the offering you are to receive from them. Gold, silver, and bronze. Blue, purple, and scarlet yarn. Fine linen and goat hair. Ram skins and dyed red and manatee skins, acacia wood, oil for the light, spices for the anointing oil, and for the fragrant incense, and onyx along with other gemstones for mounting on the ephod and breastpiece. They are to make a sanctuary for me, so that I may dwell among them. You must make it according to all that I show you, the design of the tabernacle as well as its design of all its furnishings. So the tabernacle was to be a sanctuary for God to reside in. The tabernacle is so important that there are several places at the end of Exodus where God goes into such detail that he even describes what kind of floral designs to put on the candlesticks. And he goes uh, into detail on what everything looks as far as the threading of the curtains. And all in all, the tabernacle probably looks something like this. Now this isn't as pretty as Michelle's picture earlier, but it gives you a general idea. See... The tabernacle had an outer barrier, outer wall, that was roughly 75 feet by 150 feet. To give you guys some perspective of what that is, I actually came in here and measured earlier this week. From the back doors there to the front wall here is only 77 feet, which means that width-wise, you have a foot on each side, so you might be able to get through. But from corner to corner is only 102 feet. That means the courtyard that the tabernacle sat in wouldn't even fit inside of our sanctuary. That's how big it was. So, the walls were made up of 56 pillars, holding seven and a half feet tall linen sheets that made up the walls of the outer courtyard, and at the entrance decorated more than the rest with the use of that purple, uh, blue, and scarlet thread that I said earlier. In the courtyard stood an altar made of bronze and a laver, or a ceremonial sink. You can kind of see a little guy washing his hands there. Uh, but the sink was to cleanse the priests to make them worthy of going inside. The tabernacle itself, uh, the inner sanctuary, was a smaller tent that was inside the courtyard here. And it stood with two rooms that were both 45 feet by 15 feet wide, and it stood 15 feet tall. So we could actually fit the tent in here, 90 feet across, 15 feet wide, 
Problem is, the tent would touch the ceiling about the time you hit the center vent in the middle of the room. Yes, I measured the ceiling too to see where 15 feet hit. I'm just a little nerd like that. We talked about this last week. Come on. So this tent was made with that special wood, that casey wood that God has specifically asked for, built in 15-foot planks by 27 inches that covered the outside of the tent, and those were covered in different types of linen made of wool, uh, goat's hair, and ram skin. The Israelites created images of cherubim into a cloth to hang inside to decorate the inside of, the, of this tent. And on the outer entrance, uh, just like the uh, outer sanctuary, the inner sanctuary entrance was also covered in that decorative linen of blue and purple and scarlet. The outer room and the Holy of Holies are made up of several items that were given precise measurements for and the materials to build each of them. We read first about the Ark of the Covenant and then the table that would be used inside the tent and the lampstand, the altar of incense. All of this was done for God so he could dwell there even down to the clothes that were required for the priests to wear. All of this was done so that God could dwell with us. So what makes this 40% of Exodus so important? Our chapters 25 through 40? It's because it shows us how much God wants to be with us. So let me say that again. That God wants to be with us. He doesn't just want to be a Lord over the campsite and be a mystical cloud that leads the Israelites through the wilderness, he wants to be on the ground and in the midst of his people. He is not a distant God that hides in the clouds or in the heavens or on top of a mountain. He is a God that wants to be up close and personal with us. The specifics of the tabernacle are so that he can do just that. And he did. If you remember, the book of Exodus actually ends this way in uh, chapter 40. The cloud covered the tent of meeting, And the glory of the Lord filled the tabernacle. Moses was unable to enter the tent of meeting because the cloud rested on it, and the glory of the Lord filled the tabernacle. The Israelites set out whenever the cloud was taken up from the tabernacle throughout all the stages of their journey. If the cloud was not taken up, they did not set out until the day it was taken up. For the cloud of the Lord was over the tabernacle by day, and there was a fire inside the cloud by night, visible to the entire house of Israel throughout all the stages of their journey. God resided in the tabernacle with the Israelites. As you saw in Michelle's photo earlier, it wasn't just on the edge of the camp or outside the camp to be separated apart. It was right in the center. Everybody stayed around them so that God was right there in the midst of them, right there with all of them. You see, there's more to the story than just God wants to be with us. If you caught it, and you may or may not have, but it actually starts in chapter 25, in verse 2 of that chapter, where it says this, Tell the Israelites to take an offering for me. You are to take my offering from everyone who is willing to give. See, God, he wants to be with us. But more importantly, God wants us to want him to be with us. He gave his people a choice. God wanted the tabernacle to be built voluntarily. He didn't command Moses to go and find all of the materials and take it from everybody who had it. He asked for the willing people to give offerings. He didn't demand anything from every person. And to be honest, we don't even know who gave a lot, who gave little, or who gave nothing at all. Because it didn't matter. The construction of God's dwelling place was completely voluntary, and the Israelites chose to bring God into the camp. 
And if you've noticed, this has been God's character from the very beginning. For the 6,000 years of God's history with man, one of the things that have been present through everything is the choice to follow God. And the, uh, even if we've never met Him before. In the very beginning, He gave Adam and Eve a choice to follow Him. We all know how that worked out. But further on, with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, God didn't say, I am your God, bow down to me. He said, I am the God of your father. Do you want me to be your God too? Now, before anybody starts getting on me on biblical accuracy, that was paraphrased. Just stay with me. But the point of it is that he continues to the Old Testament to try to be with his people. Whether it was through ordinary people, prophets, or kings, God always gave them a choice to follow him. And then Jesus shows up in our New Testament. He's born and provides us a new way for God to be with us forever. But much like the stories of the Old Testament, he continues to keep one thing ringing true throughout, is that he offers us a choice. Why? Well, <laughs> because as much as God wants, us to, or wants to be with us and be present within us, he wants us to want that too. We choose to follow God. We are never forced to. Jesus didn't come to die on this earth so that we could follow whether we like it or not. He came to die because it was God's plan to let him be with us and to allow us to be with him. With God, we don't have to wish upon a star or hope that someone in the cosmos hears us. There is no mystical genie in a lamp or a wish granter that will give us whatever we want. God is the one who hears those wishes, hears our prayers. God is the one we are talking to, the one who is listening to us. And he's the one who will help us out when we most need him. You see, without God, we are lost to the darkness. We have very little hope of what comes next, much less uh, hope in the state of the world as we know it right now. So much is happening in our world that the darkness can overcome us and push us into losing hope. But God brings out the light in all of us. We know of the darkness rising in the world because we hear about it every day turn on the news, there is something negative, something bad going on. But what we don't always hear, what we don't always get to see, is that light coming out to battle that darkness. See, God brings light into our lives, and it's up to us. It's our choice to let that light out. And the dark times that we're in, and the ones that we have ahead, whether it's in our own personal lives, in our community, or our country, or even in our world, we need that light to shine from all of us, brighter than ever before. To be that light to help people out of their darkness and into God's light. Let's pray. Father, we thank you we can come today to worship you. To just hear uh, your word and what you would have said to us today. Father, we thank you so much for all that you give us, for all that you do for us for the light that you pour into us all the time to let us be able to shine it out to all those around us. Father, be with us today as uh, we close out the service and just continue to remind us that your light will always chase away the darkness. Amen. Hey, it's Adam again, and thank you for listening to this episode of our sermon podcast. And I hope that you've seen in this episode that God doesn't want to be some distant God in your life. 
God wants to be with you so that God can help you through whatever it is that you're facing. Now, in our next episode, we're going to be starting into a brand new series that we're calling Recalculating When Plans Change. And we're going to be talking about how some of the plans that we've been making at Melbourne Heights recently are changing. And we're going to see what that means for our future as a church. Now, that episode will drop next Tuesday. And if you subscribe to our podcast, it will be sent straight to your favorite podcasting app. And before I go, let me remind you once again that we are not supposed to only be hearers of the word. We are also supposed to be doers of it. So this week, I want you to invite God into your life because God doesn't want to be distant from you. God wants to be with you. So let him be with you. We'll see you back here for another episode next Tuesday.